Hey listeners, you've heard on the podcast from casting directors and Broadway directors just how vital a well-curated social media presence can be for your career. The Breakdown is proud to be partnering with TSMA Consulting, a globally recognized social media firm that can help you authentically grow your following without using bots, fake followers, or anything like that. I particularly love the welcome packet and the videos they include that help you optimize your account. And wow, did I learn a lot. The TSMA is offering an exclusive discount for our listeners. Use offer code BREAKDOWN20 for $20 off any of their growth packages at tsmagrowth.com. All right, listeners, on to the show. I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I'm bringing you my conversation with Cody Renard Richard. Cody is an advocate, educator, and professional stage manager with a career that spans Broadway, television, Cirque du Soleil, and opera. Broadway credits include the current production stage manager for Freestyle Love Supreme. I love that show. Other Broadway credits include Hamilton, Dear Evan Hansen, The Lion King, Paramore, Kinky Boots, If Then, After Midnight, Motown, Ghost the Musical, Cyrano de Bergerac, and Liz Estrada Jones. TV credits include the Tony Awards, MTV VMAs, Jesus Christ Superstar Live, Hairspray Live, and The Wiz Live. Additional New York credits include Porgy and Bess, The Metropolitan Opera, Candide at Carnegie Hall, five productions with New York City Center encores, the Public Theater, Atlantic Theater Company, Second Stage, Transport Group, and the Pearl Theater Company. As an advocate for change and equity, Cody has appeared live on CNN and WNBC. Cody's been featured by Variety Magazine as one of their 2020 Broadway players to watch, Out Magazine as a 2020 Out 100 honoree, and in Forbes. He launched the Cody Renard Richard Scholarship Program in partnership with Broadway Advocacy Coalition in September of 2020. I am so impressed with how much Cody does in our industry and does so well, including joining the producing team of Thoughts of a Colored Man coming to Broadway this fall. Cody is someone that I've been wanting to connect with for such a long time, and I am so happy that I did. We talked about his perspective as a stage manager, being a replacement as an actor in a long-running show, and break down all the factors at play when casting those replacements. I think the more that we understand about this process and what we're there to do, the better we can understand the audition room and what to do there. Something that I love that we really get to chat about is your reputation in this industry. And we know that that's so important, but that for every negative story there may be about someone, there's always gonna be another side of the story. And to remember that before passing judgment or maybe worse, passing the story along to someone else. This is such a hard line to walk, especially in a time where cancel culture is everywhere, but just a little reminder to proceed with grace and that everyone is a human, and I just loved what Cody had to say about this. As always, if you like what you hear, please make sure to share this episode with a friend. This is a huge help all. Thank you so much for sharing the Gavin episode this past week. Write us a review on Apple Podcasts and make sure you are subscribed so next week's episode with three-time Tony Award-winning director Jack O'Brien drops in your feed. All right, listeners, without further ado, here is my conversation with the kind, funny, thoughtful, and very talented Cody Renard Richard. Cody, I am so happy to be seeing you and meeting you and thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you for giving your time and and your wisdom today. Absolutely. So happy to be here. You have been probably about a year and a half ago when 
the pandemic started and we really started to illuminate what was happening on Broadway and real stories of not just racism, but all the inequity that had been happening in the Broadway community. There were several voices that raised up and came to my attention and accounts that I was following and, um, you know, symposiums and uh, lives that I was watching. And you were someone that I just really came into my zeitgeist, into my focus. And we have some mutual friends, but also just someone who I enjoyed listening, enjoyed following and stage managers have been requested on the podcast. And so I'm happy to talk to a stage manager, but also you are a producer, you are an educator, you are an activist, you have your scholarship. So happy to chat about as many of those multi-hyphenates as we can today. Totally, totally. Thank you for that. Um, I'm happy to, to chat about whatever comes up. Same. I am too, whether it's, you know, whatever. So uh, whether it's like where to get the best burrito in the city, which is also an important question. <laughs> which is La Paloma on 46th, 45th <laughs> Street, um, in case you were wondering. La Paloma is now a sponsor of the podcast. So, <laughs> so Cody, a year and a half ago, we went through uh, something huge as the world going through a pandemic, all of our work shutting down, starting to do a lot of work about the business and the industry and um, equality throughout our industry and certainly lots of learning and reading. But what was there ever a decision for you about like, I'm really going to step up and become really big, a big part of this conversation? Or uh, what was, I guess, what was that like because you have continued this wave of of activism and now producing. And I'm just wondering how how that all started and how you've cont- maintained this, you know, through the past year and a half. Yeah, I mean, that is a question I have a lot of different answers to. But um, ultimately, I didn't make a decision to be a part of the conversation mm-hmm. um, because I've always been a part of the conversation, just not on the scale that I am now, I would say. So I think that when, you know, when the conversation was happening or beginning to happen on a wider platform, you know, my voices was one of the ones that I guess people gravitated to or just picked out, so to speak. But, you know, I've always, you know, used my voice and, and my platform for the things that I believed in. And sometimes, you know, people just notice it or not. But I just think that in doing that in a certain time, it became what it became. Um, I will say I was very intentional about what I was saying in the in the moment um, because I felt like it needed to be um, a moment for us to really examine what community meant. You know, there were a lot of people who just didn't understand the direct correlations between the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the inequities that we experience on Broadway. So for me, it was less about calling people out and less about saying this is messed up and more about we all have, you know, been complacent in some of these rooms. So it's really a, it was really about examining those moments and then, you know, obviously going from wherever that went. But that was like one of the initial things that I felt like I offered into the space. And answer your question about how have I, you know, continued to navigate and maintain it. Um, but I'm going to be completely honest, it's been hard. You know, the pandemic has been hard enough, not really knowing what work is and what work means and doing everything from home um, and by yourself. It's hard because, you know, you second guess everything, you're in your head about everything, but you feel like you want to help push the thing forward. 
the reason why I continued to try to advocate for others and try to uh, be a part of whatever conversation is happening is because I know that it's needed. I know that, you know, it takes all of us to to move the needle forward. So that's that's one of the save that's one of the reasons why I guess I continue to join in on whatever's happening. Um, but also you have to, I, I, I take it in strides. I know that I can't take on everything and I know that I don't need to take on everything and that my voice doesn't always need to be the one doing whatever. So I, I try to join in when I feel like it's necessary or uplift or whatever, what other, other folks are doing stuff. So, so it's kind of tricky, but I mean, of course it's been hard. The pandemic has been this long roller coaster that we're all finally sort of seeing the end of. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's so leveled the playing field for all of us. It doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, who you love. It, it has affected all of us and, and made us all kind of go through the same, this the, that at least together. One of the things I love that's come out of this year for you is that you've started producing. You are a producer on... Thoughts of a Colored Man, which is coming to Broadway. Super excited about that. Erica Jensen, casting director of Clary Cast, Clary Jensen Davis casting, newly renamed. They were just on the podcast. We got to hear from her. So wonderful. I have worked at Syracuse Stage a couple of times, so I've been following it from their journey there. How did this opportunity come to you and was getting on producing side of things something that had always been in your mind? Is this a recent thing? Maybe chat a little bit about why you made the decision to get on board with this play specifically. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is much like everything else in my career, this came at the right time. Producing is something that I've always wanted to do, um, but I always felt like it wasn't the right time. I always felt like I needed to make sure that I was doing this or like I was able to be a PSM on Broadway or able to X, Y, and Z and hit all these other goals before I could step into something else. And we, and that's a, you know, a longer story, I think, because, you know, I was taught very early on that you do one thing well, and that's what you do, you know? So I, it was harder for me to accept stepping into other realms. Um, but as the years go, have gone on, uh, just naturally I started doing more. You know, I, I wasn't just the stage manager. I was a stage manager and I was teaching or I was a stage manager and I was doing public speaking or, you know what I mean? So like all these things just started to come because that's just who I am. Mm -hmm. And actually what's interesting, when I did Lisa Strata Jones on Broadway, which is my first Broadway show, the director, Dan Connectus, came up to me and he was like, I know you like stage managing, but you really need to be a producer. And I was 22 or 23 wow. and I laughed and I was like, that's not what I want to do, <laughs> you know? Um, but as years went on, it was absolutely something that I wanted to do. And I kept speaking it into the world. And my friend Emily and I talk about it all the time. So Thoughts of a Colored Man just kind of it came to me. I was approached and they were like, your name was passed on about someone who we think that I'm not going to say exactly what they said, because I don't want to. It sounds weird when it comes out of my mouth. But they, <laughs> they reached out to me. It was like, basically, your name has been circulating. And we think that, you know, you would be a great addition to the team. Would you be interested? And, you know, backstepping again, being like, oh, this is not the right time. Maybe I shouldn't do this. And I just said, you know what? Why not? Why not, you know, add this thing that I've been talking about for years and just see what happens, you know? Um, and also, as a, as a co-producer, my responsibilities aren't that extensive so it's still something that i can do while i'm stage managing so i can you know be in the room and 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 kind of see how 
the thing works. You know, I've been working on Broadway for a while, but, you know, this is a different avenue. So that's been really nice being able to join without having so much pressure, you know, as some of the other producers may have. Um, and also, fun fact, in 2017, I was one of the stage managers on the workshop production of Thoughts of a Colored Man. Oh, cool. So now it kind of, yeah, so it kind of just feels full circle. But yeah, I'm very excited that the show's coming in. You know, Brian Moreland is a visionary. He's incredible. I love, I love watching him lead the room and the way he speaks to people. And um, so it's been really nice getting to soak in all of that. Um, but yeah, uh, long story short, producing something I've always wanted to do, never thought it was the right time. And then 2020 taught me that it's never the right time. And sometimes you just got to do it. So that's what I did. And that's what I'm doing. And um, I'm producing my first Broadway play in 2021. And it's very exciting. So cool. I feel like that thing of doing something else in addition to like stage managing or like for me, I'm an actor and then doing, I also have like, feel like I've come out of the closet again saying I'm also wanting to direct. And that was like kind of a big thing. And now, you know, but I, I feel like the pandemic and especially 2020 has allowed us all to do that, given us a little bit more permission, either because we just had to pivot to make money or to stay creative or to, come up and fulfill like activism roles that we wanted to do and however that manifested for all of us. Like for me, the pandemic manifested in this podcast that I had, you know, been trying to do for a while, but hadn't been. So it does feel like it this this time welcomes more of those, you know, multi-hyphenate, those multi-hyphenate titles. Yeah. And also I think that, you know, as artists, we need to be able to do a lot more. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of working in entertainment is that we can produce and direct and act and do all these things that you're just talking about because I think the more you are have access to the rest of it, it's gonna make you a better artist when you are on stage or when you are trying to do the other thing because you understand what the other person is doing. So I, so I agree, I do think that there's room for more people to do more. And I also think the pandemic made people get creative. And when they start to get creative, they realize, oh, I'm really good at this other thing. Not just this thing that I spent years learning in school, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I think that's been really cool to see a lot of people step out into other, you know, other avenues. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much to chat about, but I do want to talk about stage management for a second, because that's like your OG hyphen it and, and the thing that you have done the most. You know, I, I, this, most of the listeners of this podcast are um, young, early career actors, people that are just getting out of school. And I think what they talk about in school and what they've done in maybe summer stock or school productions is just like originating roles and going to a regional theater and doing a show for two months and then leaving. But the reality is, it, especially, I'd say, if you're more of a musical theater actor, or it happens in plays too, but although musicals just tend to run longer a lot of what you're doing is going in and replacing in shows or, you know, jumping in, you have, I don't know, um, you know, you can speak more to this, but a week of rehearsal before you go in or, you know, and a lot of the time you're learning the show, not with a director, but you're learning it with a stage manager and a dance captain. And I think everyone is going to be relearning a show uh, in the next month, two months, three months, they're all going to be going back into that. So I guess my first question is, can you just talk about, what that process looks like when, say, 
you know, say, I know you worked on Hamilton, maybe when someone is coming into the show that hadn't been there before, how long they get to rehearse, what those rehearsals look like, and maybe some good things that like, not a perfect actor, but like a great person to work with is prepared X, Y, and Z, but maybe like some good hints for people that are going to be doing that kind of work, especially coming up. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, Hamilton is um, a very different show in terms of replacement because they really have the support and the resources to spend time on each replacement. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have a resident director and a resident choreographer who is teaching the show. So they're not in the show every night. So they come with the knowledge of, of, uh, of approaching it from a creative view. Whereas sometimes when a dance captain or even a stage manager is replacing people, it's more about the fundamentals of getting them into the show and less about the creative. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case. There are some um, dance captains and stage managers who are very creative and can offer both worlds. But I think so with Hamilton, when people come into the show, they really get a rehearsal process. It's not, you know, your normal five weeks, but sometimes, you know, it can be, it could be, it could be three weeks, four weeks, because that's a lot of show to download. So I think the biggest thing when people come into shows like that is A, just just be open to downloading information because we want you to succeed. You know, don't come in um, with this notion of like, oh, I'm replacing so-and-so and this is how they did it. So I need to replicate that. We'll tell you what we need but we also want you to bring what you bring because that's why you are stepping into this show. You know, I think replacing is hard because especially if you're replacing someone that was loved within the company or someone who has whatever type of reputation, you want to fill those shoes. So I think it comes with a lot of pressure, but I just try to tell people that you're never going to be the person that was here before. You have to come in and put your own stamp into this. So replacing can be tough, um, but I also think it's exciting because it's a new adventure and you're able to you know, take what was what was given and add to it. So essentially, yeah, uh, and on other shows, I think, you know, I've put people into a show um, with a week of rehearsal. I put people into the show with two weeks, three weeks. So it really just depends on what the show needs um, and like how extensive the track is. Typically, I think most Broadway shows, if they've been running, they try to give people at least two weeks to learn the show. And then, you know, maybe a week to shadow and and, you know, go into put-ins and stuff like that and make sure costumes are built. But sometimes the process can take up to five to six weeks because you have to build costumes unless they're going into a track who already had pre-existing costumes that will fit them. So there's always a juggling game to figure out the best way to put somebody in. And it can be overwhelming. So I think when people are replacing, it's just remember that we, that we know that you're learning this show, even though we've been doing it forever. So we're going to try to to teach it to you in a way that's not going to you know, no one wants you to to fail. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that's something that people need to remember when they're replacing. Yeah, I think, you know, we are definitely moving into hopefully a, not a perfect industry to work in by any means when the fall comes around. I think it's hard to say that things are going to be the way we want them to be, you know, by the time of fall. But, you know, certainly taking steps forward, big steps forward, little steps forward is, is helpful. And I think that as people go back into shows, maybe the, what replacing looks like in my, in my heart, in my mind is hopefully a little bit different. And I just want to know if you can speak to that a little bit. I think before, for people who are listening that really don't know, like sometimes certain actors have to fit into certain costumes. Sometimes they have to look like the actor who's in the production shots. 
I don't think it's intentionally trying to be exclusive or um, not not inclusive, but I think that it does promote some unhealthy, unhelpful professional practices that I hope that we can see change. And I, I just wonder for you, like, what are you hoping that that looks like moving forward? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an interesting question because I think that, you know, each show is obviously different in, in terms of what the show needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think that producers, you know, have a vision of what they want the show to look like. And um, and sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes they can't get away from what the original idea was because that works so well for them. Mm-hmm. So when you do see replacements who look the same or replacements who even sound the same, you know, I've done shows where I'm like, this person sounds exactly like X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes that's what they, you know, they want a carbon copy sometimes and not all the time, but I think that when the formula works, they want to make sure that it continues to work. Um, so I think that is a part of the puzzle that I think that we have to acknowledge. But also, I, I think what you were saying is is completely true. I think that it's also important to give a fresh view and a fresh eye and be open to, you know, maybe a heavy set person coming in and playing a, a role that is traditionally played by this, you know, slim whatever. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, as a stage manager, though, I've, you know, been on shows to where, I've recommended people to replace certain roles, usually oh, in the ensemble, cool. not 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 necessarily as principal roles, but sometimes principal roles as well. And for me, honestly, and this is I'm being completely transparent, when I offer people to replace certain tracks, I think about how they can fit in with the company. Like obviously they have to be to be able to do the role, they should they'll be talented and whatever. But I think about what they bring off stage. You know, I think about, you know, are they a team player? Will they fit in? Are they going to be, you know, uh, someone who comes into the building and and not bring a negative energy, you know? Um, and I think that's really important when we, when we collaborate with people. So that's one of the things that I've always tried to push for is bringing in good humans. And, you know, producers will hire whoever they want to hire. But as a stage manager, whenever I've recommended people, I've always tried to push for people that have people have either recommended to me like this person's amazing i did this thing with them and they need an opportunity or whatever it is so i think that's another part of the thing too i think that we have to start thinking you know bigger Mm -hmm. in terms of who's coming in as opposed to oh you look like so and so and you can fit into this i mean but also it's very real that there are financial things that goes into replacing people and as, as terrible as it sounds you know, sometimes it takes fifty to $60,000 to build new costumes. And if you're trying to replace somebody in four weeks and you don't have, and your show, you know, can't take a $60,000 cut, you're going to look for someone who can fit the costumes. And that's, you know, it's a business. So that's unfortunate. So that, those are very practical things that every producer thinks about, I think, you know, um, you know, with a show like Hamilton or a show like Aladdin or a show like Lion King, you know, it's been running, so they have costumes in stock. They have the the means to build new ones. So I don't think that is much of a concern. But with other shows, you know, who may not have recouped yet or whatever, I think that that is a, a huge concern. So that that's why people try to look for people who can fit into certain costumes. It's a business. It's a it's a commercial entity, you know. And sometimes, I think that I appreciate that honesty. That sometimes, like, it is down to we just can't afford this and. You know, so 
Yeah, that completely makes sense. And I love what you said about, I've never heard that before or thought that before about like a stage manager recommending castmates to either maybe like what you were talking about, like move from the ensemble, move into the principal, move into a principal track, or, you know, even just move into the show. Because we obviously hear on the podcast all the time, like, be nice to everyone, be a kind person, like be someone someone wants to work with because this business is so small. But even once you're in the show, even once you have the job, being kind, not just to your director or your resident or your producers, but like obviously the stage management team, because you could be getting work from everyone or everywhere. An assistant costume designer, you know, moves up the, moves up the ranks, you know, but absolutely the stage management team. And that just hadn't occurred to me because you are also have the ear of producers and casting directors. And I get asked about actors all the time. I honestly, I mean, people call them like, Hey, you're, you're Facebook friends with this person. Where did you work with them? And I, you know, I'm, and I'm very, I'm always honest. And I listen, I never want to block anyone's blessing. So I don't, if I don't have anything positive to say about the person, I'm like, oh, well, it was an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, then you can make your own decisions on that because I can't, I, I something about, I can't block somebody's blessings because I don't want nobody blocking mine. But your reputation is also on the line too. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't want to suggest course, someone course. that is, you know, for lack of a better word, a nightmare to work with. And then they come back to you and they're like, Cody, like, why did you, do you know? So. And the other thing too, is like, if I'm saying this person is a nightmare to work with, I'm sure someone else is also saying it. So like everybody's reputation precedes them. And like, sometimes people are misjudged. Absolutely. I work with people who I was told that, oh, they're going to come in and be a problem. And they were nothing but lovely. So I think that, you know, people go through things at different times and there has to be, room for grace and room to, you know, either call someone in and say, hey, we really want you for this, but this is what I heard. Can you talk about this experience? And then you, you know, and just be open and transparent. That's the thing that I don't think a lot of people do. And I wish that they did, because I think everyone does deserve a chance to tell their side of whatever it is. So I think that's also very important when we, you know, go through the the, the word of mouth of people saying, well, I think this person may be a little, you know, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very important to just say, okay, well, this is what I heard. What do you think? You know what I mean? And then go from there. But I don't know. Easier said than done, I guess. But Yeah, it is. But you know what? I love that you said that because I just feel like, and we're all guilty of it to some extent of like, oh, I heard this story and now I'm telling that story that I, you know, that I heard. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. these reputations get attached to people. And maybe that's just someone's side of the story. And that's not the person that was in the situations side of the story because you never know what could be at play the power dynamic that could be at play and and we all have biases and there are people that that walk into the room and automatically like i don't like that person they haven't even said a word and and you know what i mean so i think that it's really important to consider who's telling you whatever it is and then get a second opinion and then talk to the person because like i said we all have preconceived notions of people if we heard something years ago about someone we're going to come in and be like oh this is what we're thinking and you already are not giving this person a fair chance so i think that that's also very important to think about it's multifaceted like there's so many different layers to all of this and i think that if you know, we just have to make sure that we are getting the full picture before casting like complete judgment on someone. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A, fa- a fair trial with a jury of your peers <laughs> <laughs> held at the sh- held at the Ambassador Theater on the Chicago set. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
so good. I, I like did not anticipate, you know, chatting about this today, but like, I just, I think it's really important for, for people to hear. And I think it's important for all of us to kind of like check ourselves sometimes and to remember that we're all guilty of doing, you know, of doing things like that. Totally. Yeah. We're talking about kind of about moving and going into the opening of Broadway. And, you know, we have had a rough year and a half. It's been difficult there's been some changes that have slowly been taking place. It's not, nothing is like moving as fast as, you know, I think we wish we could. I'm interested to know from your point of view as someone who's been a, an influential voice in, in the conversation of racial equality, especially, especially in the Broadway community of, of a theater or a producer or, or an action that's been taken by a commercial, non-for-profit, you know, director, anyone that you feel like it could be a really small thing that they did. Cause I think small steps are just as important as, as big ones, at least in my opinion, at least we're moving forward, but it can be a large thing that a theater did or a director did or a producer did, or it can be something as small as a statement. Maybe that answer will help propel other people or to, to think about, Oh, you know, this was a helpful thing that, that happened. So maybe like not a win that happened, but just something positive that you feel like has happened this year um, because of some of the conversations that that we've been having and some of the space and the time and conversation and learning we've had. There's a lot, I think. Um, I do, but also do want to recognize what you were saying earlier about uh, when we go back to work, it will not be an ideal, like we've made it type situation because it's this is this is ongoing work, you know, like making sure that we continue to move forward and not relax back into old ways of walking into a space. Mm-hmm. I think that is, that is so important. So just knowing that like, it's going to take little things, little things, little things, you know, um, I will say that I want to highlight, you know, uh, Rashad Chambers and um, Adam Hindman and a couple of others who started um, the theater producers of color they have, uh, it's their, they are a coalition, but they also just did this producing one-on-one workshop where they brought in 15 people, 10 or 15 people, and, and taught them about commercial producing. And I think that is something that is so important because now they're giving access to people who are interested. May, they, may, they were, some of them were actors, some of them were you know, company managers or whatever, and now they're giving them the real nitty gritty of what it takes to do this and tools and stuff like that and and matching them with other people. What are some other things? I mean, you know, I've never worked at a company where they had an anti-racist policy or practice. And I find that more often than not now, most general managers and producers, when they approach me about a show, we talk about it. We've never, I've never talked about that when I was hired on a show. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, uh, you know, equity has made clear a way of reporting harassment. You know, this is, all, I guess it's always been in place, but no one knew how to do it. So now there, there are proper steps to report that, mm-hmm. you know, so I think that that's important. You know, a lot of companies um, have brought in an EDI specialist and they've all been taking courses, which I think is important to, to st- build that foundation. And then, you know, hopefully we can start putting that into practice. So I think that there have been small victories in terms of all of that. You know, also, if you go back and you think about all the demands that were put out by We See You What, which was, you know, mm-hmm. a coalition of people, We See You White American Theater, it was a very comprehensive document of demands. And I think a lot of theaters have 
adapted what they could to start with. And if you go to their website, they have it posted. That's not something that I think would have happened. You know, we've also seen people commit to saying, when someone leaves this show, we will actively look for a person of color to replace. Not saying that they're going to hire the person, but they are actively accepting candidates for it mm-hmm. and looking for them and going after them. They didn't do that shit before. Um, I don't know if I can cuss, but you know what I mean? So, no, you totally so can. I think that, <laughs> okay. But you know what I mean? So like, those are all like things like I'm just, as I'm just rattling them off, you know, those are all things that I think have been positive. You listed some amazing ones. So yeah, yeah, really cool. I think we all know that there's so much still to do, but I just like to highlight that there is like the positive things that are happening and some, some good things that are moving forward. And I was, you know, happy. I, I didn't even know, know about all of those things that you just listed. So very cool. Well, cause, cause also the thing that we have to remember and it's the, it's the double-edged sword of social media and the news, the things that are the issue are the things that get highlighted most of the time. Mm-hmm. So we're always hearing about, you know, putting Scott Rudin on a do not work list or pay transparency and, 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 stuff within equity and all of these things that have been to the forefront lately on social media, those are things that are going to get highlighted because those are things that people are pushing to get fixed. You know, we rarely highlight the small victories. Mm-hmm. So there, I do, there are, there have been small victories, I believe. Well, thank you for bringing some positivity to the, to the podcast. And it's good. It's like great to hear all that. <laughs> and it's a great segue because I want to hear about the scholarship. And I just want to hear a little bit about how it started, but that also seems to me like another wonderful victory and opportunity. And maybe talk a little bit about how folks can look into it more if they're interested in applying for it. Yeah, totally. Um, So the scholarship is something that I've always wanted to do. And my original idea was to sponsor a student at my alma mater. I went to Webster University in St. Louis and I was just going to, you know, sponsor a student and give them a thousand dollars a year. You know, I was like, That'd be my way of paying it forward. I can mentor them. It'd be the thing. Pandemic hit. Um, my funds were limited. So I went back to the drawing board and a friend of mine was like, dream bigger. You never had a problem with that. So like, what do you think this thing could be? The scholarship is for uh, offstage theater makers. So anyone who is not an actor. Um, so anyone who's studying directing, choreography, stage managing, designing, you know, any of those offstage uh, theater related degrees, and they identify as a person of color. They're, you know, Black, Latinx, Asian, um, Indigenous, anyone who identifies that way. And uh, essentially, they get a financial grant. And then they also go through um, a couple of work sessions with me and various people that I bring in. So the goal of, of each cohort, each year is for them to build a community within themselves, for them to connect with past people who were in the cohort, and then also to give them resources to help them exist in this field, to help them find their voice and to know that how special they are, you Mm -hmm. know? And like the entire scholarship really is just me giving people the tools that I weren't given. I talk about this a lot. Like I never had a mentor that looks like me. I've had a lot of great mentors, but none of my mentors, I saw a reflection of myself in them. Mm-hmm. So I, I really think it's important for them to see that and for them to talk about that and for them to know that it's possible. You know, so that's one of the that's one of the big driving forces of the scholarship. 
you know, I do hope that it continues for years and years because it's needed. Even, even, even once we get to a place to where I am not the minority working in the theater, we're all, you know, a part of a system where you see ourselves everywhere. Mm-hmm. I still want the program to exist because I, I also know that college is expensive and I would not have been able to go to college without scholarships. So I still want to be able to, to give that to lessen the burden. So yeah, we just finished our first cohort and it was it was great. It was hard, it was exciting. I learned a lot. The students are incredible. It's so crazy that it happened. I I I was talking to my friend yesterday. I was like, I feel like I just launched this thing and it's already the first year's already over. You know what I mean? Like it all just happened so fast and now it's like on to planning the next the next cycle, but it's been it's been crazy, but it's been very rewarding. Very cool. I love the part of it that you're connecting them with, like they're obviously meeting you and working with you, but other other people in the industry, but then so importantly that they get to connect with each other. Because as I'm sure, I don't even have to say this, but like it's a business of relationships. I'm sure you've gotten jobs and work from people you knew and met. And so that fact that they're meeting and you know collaborating, because those people that you like get out of school with or you meet when you're young, like those are the people who go on to get bigger things and either you give them jobs or they give you jobs, you know, also. Or recommend you or, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's such a small business in a small world. Also love that you went to Webster. I did um, a show at The Rep in 2019. Yeah, it was a new play in the black box space. Awesome play. It was like Steve Wolf's last year there. Um, Oh yeah. But Hannah, came in and saw the show and got to meet her. She's unbelievable and got to like hang with some of the Webster students and go on campus. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. I love that. Yeah. 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 So that was fun. So cool. Love the love, love the scholarship. I think it's a great idea and it's exactly, you know, what we, what the world needs right now. So it's such a great idea and a great thing to do during this time. And I imagine allowed you to feel creative and like as a educator and, you know, during this time. So. For sure. You know, um, you know, there were times when I was like, Oh, am I giving these students enough? Or like, am I doing, you know, you get inside your head. Cause you know, you built this thing and it wasn't perfect. I wasn't, I, it, it wasn't all the way fleshed out. I was like, this needs to happen. I want to do it. And I made it happen. And then we, we went on the journey. So I was learning as I was teaching and I was learning from them. And I have to constantly remind myself that, that it was enough that A, it launched and B, that I brought these students together. Whatever happens beyond that is a bonus. And that was what I had to constantly remind myself because, you know, you want them to get all of the things. And sometimes you have to just be like, all right, here we are. And today, this, you know what I mean? So that, mm-hmm. that was a constant thing that I had to tell myself, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was really great. It was special. And I'm, I'm very proud of it. So cool. So cool. And I'll, I'll link out to your website and everything so people can find more information about it and to okay. apply for the next cohort and stuff. What is something that maybe you talk to your students about? What do you want them to know? what is one of the biggest themes or lessons or things that you can impart to them that you talk about? Because my podcast is um, a little bit more geared towards like the business rather than like the craft or the creativity part, but about the industry. There's so many things, but I I think I'll start with by saying, you know, don't let this business define you. And this is something that I have to dig deep and work through as well at times. But I think that we, people ask us, the first thing they ask is, what do you do? 
you know, and then you have to say, oh, I am blah, 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 blah. I started telling people and they're like, what do you do? I'm like, I spread joy, <laughs> you know? And they're like, but I mean for work. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, you know what I mean? So I just think that it's important to not let this business define you. I think the more that we are well-rounded humans and wanting to be good people, that will influence our artistry and that will make you successful within this business. You define success on your own. But I really try to, you know, talk to my students and, and remind them that they are a human and a person first before they are an actor, a designer, a stage manager or whatever. Mm. So, you know, I think it's so important to figure out what you stand for. And once you figure out what you stand for, you can walk into any room and you know what you can take and what you can't. Because this business is hard. And like we were saying, it can break you down if you let it, you know. So I think it's really important to know that it's a business. Don't let it define you and figure out what you stand for. And I think that's how you're able to to succeed, essentially. Um, and that's a journey. You know, that's not something that most students coming out of high school, even coming out of college, are going to know. You know, I didn't know it until I was almost 30. And I'm still figuring it out. You know what I mean? So I think that's okay. But it's important to start thinking about it. You know, the more you start thinking about it, the more you'll be intentional about how you approach the business, how you step into these rooms, what jobs you take, how you speak about yourself when someone asks you, what do you do? You're human. You're human first. And that other people are human first. We got to see humanity in people first, you know? And I think that's how we start to, you know, shift the culture um, of these rooms. So that's one thing that I've really been trying to, to spread and also try to emulate, because I think it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to actually walk into a space and be it. So that's that's a goal of mine is to continue to practice what I preach and to kind of lead by example. I mean, I needed that reminder today. And so thank you for that. And I'm, I agree. I totally agree. I also think like we've also heard on the podcast from like agents and things like when they have when you have a first meeting with an agent, a lot of the time they just want to know who you are, like where you grew up, what kind of things you like, the kind of vibe. Do they want to call you every day with appointments? You know, it's like. They don't need to know the businessy side of things. And I think it's refreshing when you run into someone on Ninth Avenue and it's like, oh, how's your family? How's your dog that I see in pictures? Or do you know what I mean? That it's like we're leading, yeah, yeah. like connecting and wanting to care for each other as humans as opposed to, oh, what are you working on right now? Do you know? So right. I, I think it's a, a... And also, and obviously that's going to come up and, you know, and like sometimes talking about what you're working on leads into a bigger conversation. Mm -hmm. So like, it's, that's not negative, so to speak, but I just think that it's important to dig a little deeper and to make sure that we're also worrying about the person and not only about their resume, mm -hmm. um, which I think sometimes can get tricky, you know? Yeah. It is tricky because we're also passionate and love what we do. You know what I mean? It's not like we're yeah. accountants. It's like sometimes we right. talk about it because we just like love to, to chat about totally. it. So it is, it is a, totally. it is a hard kind of. And that's space for, that's obviously space for both. Yeah. You know, Cody, I am so happy to meet you. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even care that we're recording. Happy to have this conversation. And thank you so much for your time and wisdom and positivity. And it was what I imagined and, and more after getting to know you <laughs> in a creeper way uh, over this past <laughs> year, just like being a voyeur. But um, I just really appreciate your time and your insight. So thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. 
For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Instagram and Facebook at The Breakdown with Robbie. We also have some pretty exciting supplementary content over there, like Instagram live catch-ups with some of your favorite podcast guests. If you like what you hear, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and write a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. And don't forget to check out TSMA Consulting. Use offer code BREAKDOWN20 for $20 off any of their growth packages at tsmagrowth.com. All right, listeners, thanks for listening and get ready for another episode of The Breakdown.